peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning in once again to another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. I am your host, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all out there in dreamland, listeners new and old, tuning in once again, specifically to another installment of UFO reporting in my efforts to provide more objective ufology not only to my channel but to the discourse at large that focuses on the historic incontrovertible eyewitness sightings as the focus and priority of the account and not forensic data or evidence as the majority of new modern UFO UAP researchers especially in the UAP cult favor and demand everything from photographic evidence to physical evidence to uh, every objective scientific type datum that they can acquire during a research engagement of a eyewitness sighting, a close encounter, or a UFO incident. But which rejects the authority and respectability of the individual in most cases, regardless of any kind of qualifications or life experience or expertise in a particular area. And in most cases, treating people as incidental to the phenomenon and not important enough to validate and give credibility for an eyewitness testimony alone, which is contradictory to most much of the societal and cultural legacy of the Western world, which values independent, rational, and logical thought to transcend social status and to be 
part of the inalienable rights of which all men are made equal. We used to be a society where men were of their word because the word is all a man has. Now, yes, given the proliferation and invention of digital cameras, phones, etc., the expectation is always on, I mean, the burden of proof is always on the presenter of a testimony of their experience. And this is because of a perversion of culture from professional argument creators called defense attorneys and their ilk, their kin, and many different social strata from corporate lawyers, etc., who profit from creating arguments to debunk or stall any concrete legal or objective conclusion, whether it be in court of law or amongst even their own membership, based on rhetoric, based on the different dimensions of public speaking and academic approach. It's much easier to call in question and deny an event and attack a person's character when people think that is the most valid way of ascertaining the truth. And through the propaganda of this highly profitable industry known as the attorney, thus the argument of that val- uh, the validity of that rhetorical style of that speaking style, of that thinking style, of that philosophy, which really degrades the dignity, intentionally degrades the dignity, of eyewitnesses and all human beings at large. Gone are the days of the ancient Greek philosophers because they themselves would be very hard-pressed to impress these modern-day skeptics wherever they are, online, or uh, in the real world, or on the professional touring speaking circuit, or on the mainstream news Ferris wheel, or uh, Flavor of the Week website, or whatever. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, whatever. These skeptics would deny the arguments made by Aristotle simply because they would like to argue or simply because someone like Plato would have uh, a hard time providing this physical forensic data that a philosophy has in academia as well um, taken such a strong ironclad gatekeeping lock and key to. Uh, and I think it's pretty apparent and obvious when it's now infringing on even legitimate objective data from official standards because the data conflicts with now a mainstream minority opinion 
and when that's what it truly statistically is, is a mainstream minority opinion, a tyrannical opinion, that UFOs and UAPs can be explained with modern technology from conventional or misidentified atmospheric phenomenon. That it's all mistaken identity, mass hallucination, or subjective self-brainwashing. As we chase our own tales in search of what's really going on in this phenomenon, this is what they really think and will argue. Even going so far as just plainly ignoring or censoring real photographs that counter or that contradict and invalidate the small-minded skepticism of much of these uh, newly entered, you know, uh, Johnny-come-latelys, as it were, into the researcher field, and let alone the journalist field. And that's a shame because, you know, most of the cases that truly did change the world did so with nothing more than eyewitness statements, sketches, and the validity of mass sightings investigated by citizen journalists and private investigators working for NICAP and MUFON, etc. Not from government sources, not from big corporation sources, not from mainstream news sources, but everyday citizens like you and I listening right now, speaking right now, living right now, that went forward and thought for themselves and asked the right questions and were able to piece together a more coherent and complete picture than any of these modern-day theorists or researchers have the guts to even say out loud. So in that spirit, let's continue on with two accounts from the Nightcap archives, which are publicly available on nightcap.org, where military members, servicemen, uniform personnel from two separate branches of the Pentagon and its armed forces, had mass sightings with direct technological impact with UFOs and UAPs that were incontrovertibly piloted by intelligence, whether that be AI or EI, extraterrestrial intelligence, can still remain for question but that the implications are that the truth is out there and we are not alone. It's not misidentification. It's a massive cover-up. That's what it is. (coughs) So yes, let's get into it. Echo Flight Missile Incident. March 16th 1967 
Lewiston, Montana. What could be more interesting and important than an incident involving UFOs and our strategic defenses, especially where there appears to have been a direct relationship between the incidents and the failure of vital missile targeting systems? Ten missiles at one site and ten at another, 35 miles apart. Some signal had been sent to these missiles, which caused them to go off alert status, one eyewitness says. What most people do not understand is, this was not just an unfounded rumor. The incident has been confirmed. Although it is normal for authorities to explain away almost all UFO incidents, this one is not that easy. This is the story of extraordinary events that happened in 1967 to Strategic Air Command Missile Combat Officers, Missileers, assigned to the operate the Minuteman Intercon Intercontinental Ballistic Missile an essential part of America's Cold War strategic nuclear deterrent. Our thanks to Joe Carpenter for locating the image of what he suspects is the LCC capsule that was apparently targeted by the UFO. And most importantly, our thanks to Jim Klotz and Robert Salas for their official reporting on the incident to the world. And now their book, The Faded Giant, tells the full story. In 1967, Mal Malmstrom Incident 10 Minutemen's did get knocked out, but the investigation was conducted not by the NSA, National Security Agency, but by the missile contractor and private company, Boeing, which issued a secret classified report of engineering investigation of Echo Flight Incident, Malmstrom, Montana, 16th March. 1967. The trick was that the UFO rumors were denied so that the missile disabling could be investigated and reported as if unrelated to the UFO, which were cited contrary to the flimsy denials. No satisfactory explanation for the missile disabling was found. Presumably, whenever these kinds of national security UFO incidents occurred that affected military equipment they were investigations by contractors who built or maintained the equipment, and the UFO aspects were compartmented off. At a higher level, these reports could be read by someone clear to know about the UFO details, and they could ignore the perfunctory denials of UFO activity written into the contractor studies. The Detailed Report This is the story of extraordinary events that happened in 1967 to Strategic Air Command Missile Combat Officers, missileers assigned to operate the Minutemen Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, an essential part of America's Cold War strategic nuclear deterrent. In Central Montana, Thursday morning, March 16, 1967, the Echo Flight Missile Combat Crew was below ground in the Echo Flight Launch Control Center, the LCC, or capsule. During the early morning hours, more than one report came in from security patrols and maintenance crews that they had seen UFOs. A UFO was reported directly above one of the Echo Flight Launch Facilities, LF, or silos, 
It turned out that at least one security policeman was so frightened by this encounter that he never again returned to security duty. A short time later, the deputy crew commander, DMCCC, a first lieutenant, was briefing the crew commander, the MCC, a briefing... Oh, sorry, briefing a crew, the crew commander, MCCC, a captain, on the flight status when the alarm horn sounded. Over the next half minute, all ten of their missiles reported a no-go condition. One, of, one by one, across the board, each missile had become inoperable. From there on, as an ex-missileer describes it all, all hell broke loose. Among the many calls to and from the E-Flight LCC, one was to the MCCC, a November flight which links to the equally dramatic story of what happened in another LCC that same morning. In this case, we have a shutdown of strategic nuclear missiles coincident with UFO sightings over a missile silo. These were missiles lost to America's nuclear deterrent forces. The November flight. The following section is as told by Robert Salas, who was the DMCCC in North Flight or November Flight that morning. My recollection is that while on duty as a deputy missile combat crew commander below ground in the LCC during the morning hours of 16th March 1967, I received a call from the non-commissioned officer, the NCO, in charge of Launch Control Center site security. He said that he and other guards had observed unidentified flying objects in the vicinity which had overflown the LCC a few times. He could only distinguish them as lights at the time. I do not take this, re this report seriously and directed him to keep observing and report back if anything more significant happened. I believe this first call to be a practical joke. A few minutes later, the security NCO called again. He was now agitated and distraught, saying that a UFO was hovering just outside the front gate. I directed him to secure the fenced area. As we were talking, he had to go because one of the guards had approached the UFO and had been injured. I immediately woke my commander from his rest period and started to report the phone conversations. Immediately, our missiles began shutting down from alert status to no-go status in rapid succession. None of the four or five missiles which vaulted came back online. Some signal had been sent to the missiles which caused them to go off alert status. After reporting this incident to the command post, I phoned my security guard. He said that the man who had approached the UFO had not been injured seriously but was being evacuated by helicopter to the base. Once topside, I spoke directly with the security guard about the UFOs. He added that the UFO had a red glow and appeared to be saucer-shaped. He, he repeated that it had been immediately outside the front gate, hovering silently. He sent a security patrol to check our LFs after the shutdown, and they reported sighting another UFO during their patrol. They also lost radio contact with our site immediately after reporting the UFO. We were relieved by our scheduled replacement crew later that morning. The missiles had still not been brought online by on-site maintenance teams. Again, UFOs were sighted by security personnel at or about the time Minuteman strategic missiles shut down.
an in-depth investigation of the EcoFlight incident was undertaken. Full-scale on-site and laboratory tests at Boeing Seattle plant were conducted. Both declassified strategic missile wing documents and interviews with Boeing engineers were conducted tests following the EcoFlight incident investigation confirmed that no cause for the missile shutdowns was ever officially found. The most that could be done was to reproduce the effects by directly introducing a 10-volt pulse onto a data line. One conclusion was that the only way this could be done from outside the shield system was through an electromagnetic pulse from an unknown source. National Security Issue During the events of that morning in 1967, UFOs were sighted by security personnel at the November Flight LLC and at one November Flight LF, and by other security personnel at Echo Flight LFs. These sightings were reported separately to the capsule crews at both LCCs at about the same time Minuteman strategic missiles shut down at both sites. United States Air Force has confirmed that all Echo Flight's missile shutdowns within seconds of each other, that no cause for this could be found. For many years, the Air Force has maintained that no reported UFO incident has ever affected national security. It is established fact that a large number of Air Force personnel reported sighting UFOs at the time many of our strategic missiles became unlaunchable. The incidents described above clearly had national security implications. One previously classified message from SAC Headquarters, Strategic Air Command Headquarters, described the Echo Flight incident as loss of strategic alert of all 10 missiles within 10 seconds of each other for no apparent reason and a quote-unquote cause for grave concern. This was to the Strategic Air Command Headquarters. There is a great discrepancy between the United States Air Force's public position relative to UFOs and national security as an objective fact, and the established facts of this case prove it. We hope that the Secretary of the Air Force will search for, declassify, and release all information on this case. End quote. And that was the Echo Flight UFO missile incident. The second one is the coin helicopter electromagnetic magnetic compass encounter from October 18th, 1973. In Mansfield, Ohio, at 11.05 p.m., Army Reserve helicopter encountered a domed craft-like object that beamed green light into a cockpit lifted the helicopter off course and affected the magnetic compass permanently. The Army Helicopter 68-15444 was returning from Columbus, Ohio to Cleveland, Ohio and southeast of Mansfield Airport, Ohio 
while flying at an altitude of 2,500 feet and on a heading of 030 degrees. Staff Sergeant Yanitsek observed a red light on the eastern horizon, 90 degrees to the flight path of the helicopter. Approximately 30 seconds later, Staff Sergeant Yanitsek indicated that the object was converging on the helicopter at the same altitude at an airspeed in excess of 600 knots and on a mid-air collision heading. Captain Coyne observed the converging object took over the controls of the aircraft and initiated a power descent from 2,500 feet to 1,700 feet to avoid impact from the object. A radio call was initiated to Mansville Tower who acknowledged the helicopter and was asked by Captain Coyne if there were any high-performance aircraft flying in the vicinity of the Mansfield Airport. However, there was no response received from the tower. The crew expected impact from the object. Instead, the object was observed to hesitate momentarily over the helicopter, then slowly continued on a westerly course, accelerating at a high rate of speed. Clear west of Mansfield Airport, then turned 45 degrees, heading to northwest. Captain Coyne indicated the altimeter read a 100 feet per minute climb and read 3,500 feet with the collective of the fold-down position. The aircraft was returned to 2,500 feet by Captain Coyne and flown back to Cleveland, Ohio. The flight plan was closed and the FAA Flight Service Station notified of the incident. The radio returned to normal 10 minutes after the incident, having gone completely dead on both UHF and VHF frequencies, just after Coyne had established contact with Mansfield Control Tower. Some witnesses on the ground reported seeing the helicopter as well as an object like a blimp and as big as a school bus hovering above the helicopter. When the UFO's green light appeared, it was described by the witnesses as like rays coming down and the helicopter, the trees, the road, and everything turned green. Captain Coyne quotes, From a speed of 600 miles per hour, it abruptly slowed down to our exact speed of 100 miles per hour and hovered above us. End quote. Co-pilot Jeezy said, the object was cigar-shaped, metallic gray, with a dome on top. Staff Sergeant Healy reported it was about 60 feet long without any portholes or intake openings that we could see. At first, it was just showing a red light on the nose, then a green spotlight at the back, swept around and shone into our cabin. End quote. Reviewing their instruments, Coyne noticed that the magnetic compass was rotating slowly, while the radio magnetic indicator was functioning normally. He descended to the previously assigned cruise altitude of 2,500 feet and made radio contact with the Akron Canton air traffic controllers. And that is the Coyne helicopter magnetic compass encounter. From Army Reserve helicopter pilots and air crew. These are incontrovertible, inarguable, undeniable UFO encounters and interactions 
with trained, qualified observers, as well as duty-bound, oath-sworn members of a nation's defense force who are honestly reporting on encounters with UFOs or UAPs or OVNIs, however you would like to call them, in great detail with verifiable, unexplained, technological, lasting effects on military equipment. Multiple eyewitnesses, as well as even interactions between the eyewitnesses and an intelligently controlled aircraft at close distance. And yes, there is very little surviving and remaining evidence beyond eyewitness testimony and sketches from memory. But that does not invalidate or disprove the encounter, but rather proves once again that the most incredible and intense moments of interaction between us and the great beyond and acts of disclosure occur with very little evidence and evidence is the exception not the rule when understanding these concepts and phenomenon rationally one has to use their critical objective rational mind not relying on what we've been so indoctrinated to believe is how reality is created which is through the methods of the court of law system and a highly corrupt bar society this is not a game of logic or pathos or uh, ethos this is a game of respecting one's credibility and the word of eyewitnesses in describing the impossible and the beyond incredible which is actively kept beyond top secret and I would love if the modern day UFO UAP communities understood the magnitude of the cover up and conspiracy for secrecy that has occurred And that experiences such as these in the history of the 20th century and even older are as valid pieces of evidence and moments of disclosure and whistleblowing than is occurring now with the U.S. Navy's disclosure and with the recent congressional hearings and attitudes of the West and in fact, cases such as these are in danger of being forgotten entirely given the priorities and misguided skepticism and scientism of the UFO research community in 2020. The 2020s, sorry, 2020s. I know it's 2022. But the 2020s onward in this next decade that cases in the 20th century 
which literally prove incontrovertibly human and extraterrestrial interaction or human and UFO interaction at the very least are being literally muted and hidden for the favor of forensic evidence data as though if autopsies could be conducted to prove a living phenomena's nature. Thank you very much for listening to these two UFO cases, the Echo Flight case and the Electromagnetic Compass Encounter. Thank you all very much for listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much. Peace out. <laughs>